Doing okay? Great job. Hey, I just can we thank our worship team? What a great job today leading us. <laughs> Done so well. And uh, we're going to, you almost go again, Todd, they've only done three songs. What's the deal? Let, why aren't they up here longer? They'll be on the back end today. And we have some really special stuff for you uh, that I'm excited. This is very in tune with our message and our series where we're going today. You join us today on the last day of a series called Playlist, where we have been looking through the Psalms, selected Psalms over the summer. And our whole goal is not just in reading them, not just even in understanding them, but aligning Aligning our responses with the Psalms, and uh, today, my hope and prayer is that it would be just like all the others, that there would be that sense of, of next step and application of what we're talking about. If you have a Bible today, we're going to be in Psalm 96, Psalm 96, Psalms is in the Old Testament, and it's about in the halfway mark of your Bible, get there and find 96. Also in your Trinity this week, you have notes on this beautiful goldenrod paper, if you want to take uh, those out and have those ready to go, that'll help you follow with us. I want to thank you for those who were praying this last week for our middle school students. They just had a great week at camp. So many good things. Got to go up and visit. We had some great counselors and staff, and Dan and Becky just run such a great camp. So just a good week all the way around. Had some good strides, again, of, of God, who are you? How do I respond to you? And all those things we're just so grateful for. So thank you. Thank you for praying on their behalf as they were gone this last week. A couple things going on I just want to bring your mind to as we kind of dial in today. One is, is that next month, we're really excited. If you're new to Trinity Church, and there are a lot of us kind of since January and beyond that have been attending, and, and it's hard to kind of know beyond Sunday mornings, how do I get involved? How do I get connected? The month of August is for you. We're going to focus next month on, we call it where you fit at Trinity, and our whole idea will be helping you find your way into serving. The first two weeks will be focused on that, and the next two weeks focus on finding a small group, whether it be a home group, men's group, women's group, whatever it might be. And so really want to encourage you, be here with us in the month of August. We'll kick off this series and really not only in the teaching, but on the outside, we'll have expos that'll be going on each of those Sundays for serving the first two and small groups for the second two. So really want to let you know, if you're kind of wondering, how do we really take that next step beyond just Sunday attendance? This is how. Join us in the month of August. You'll get some really great ways to put that into motion. And our hope is that you would feel more and more rooted into this family, this uh, local church called Trinity. So we're excited for that. Also, we've been encouraging over the last few weeks to help us as we get ready to celebrate on the 19th of August, Stephen Diane Springstead's 30th anniversary at Trinity. Today, if you, some of you have had that thought like, oh, I, I wanted to send something or I had a picture. But today, if you just want to, so it's like, instant gratification. You can go do this right after service. Right out at the Welcome Center, there are sheets like these, very simple. If you just want to write a note to Steve and Diane and thank them for their faithful ministry here at Trinity and maybe even how that's intersected your life, this is the way to do it. And so right out afterwards, you'll find some folks with those sheets and that would be a great thing because we're going to have just a great time. I want to invite you to come join us on the 19th, 3 to 5 in the afternoon on that Sunday. It's just going to be a great time celebrating what God has done in and through them. Well, here we are. So we're in this series uh, called Playlist, and we're talking about our responsiveness. And what really what we found is we found that the Psalms really demonstrate that God's people are praying people, and God's people are a singing people. That's really what the Psalms were. They were corporate prayers and corporate songs that the people of God would remind themselves of who God is, how great he is, and how he would have them respond to him. 
And, and within that, what we've said is the, the Psalms are so relatable. We have looked at some really gut-level, raw words throughout this summer. And some of us have been surprised those words are even in there. Surprised that someone could come that just honestly and openly and transparently before God. And in that, it's been encouraging. The relatability has been strong. We've used a phrase throughout the summer that we find ourselves in the Psalms. We, we have this connection to how much they, they seem to get it and the things that we would want to say to God, they're giving us words. And so that's been our goal. God, we don't just want to relate to these words. We want to align with them. We want our heartbeat to be like your people have expressed in the Psalms. And today is like any other. We really are excited. What we're going to see is we're going to see a Psalm, one of the kinds of genres of Psalms that really is very prolific within the book. We really haven't touched on until today. And it's Psalms calling God's people to praise, calling God's people to worship. The interesting thing, though, about this psalm is that how absolutely core to this psalm is the idea of mission. It's not just about vertically praising God, but it's about the horizontal impact that that has on people who do not yet know him. And I'm so excited to unpack this passage with you today. Here's our now what idea. What are we supposed to do with these words? Praising God vertically is also a means of reaching your world horizontally. Praising God vertically is also a means of reaching your world horizontally. That's where we're going to go. Your, your Bibles are open to Psalm 96. Look at verse 1. Sing, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Look at this last verse here. Declare his glory where? Among the nations. His marvelous deeds among all peoples. And what you're going to see today throughout the Psalms, you'll notice that there's three bolded words. There's actually two more in this passage we could have bolded, sing twice, and then the word proclaim. But these are all what we call imperative verbs. They're words of direction. They're commands. They're calling us to do something. So as we go through the passage today, you're going to see words that are bolded that are calling us at the beginning of each verse, calling us to action calling us to do things. One thing we're also going to see in this psalm today is that 11 times, every time we see the word the Lord, it's really the, not just the generic word for God, it's actually his name. A name that you sang just a few minutes ago, Yahweh, Yahweh, we love to shout your name, O Lord. That's the word, the personal name of God, the name that God gave himself for the people to call him. So what we'll see, there's a real purpose in that. We'll see that God is saying throughout this psalm, as the psalmist is ascribing, writing these words to God, we're not talking about generic praise to a generic God. We're talking about particular praise of particular attributes to this particular specific God. His name is Yahweh. And everyone reading this text would have understood that with great clarity. The psalm begins like a lot of other psalms that are calls to praise by, by, in a sense, that same imperative verbs, demanding that we do something. Sing these words to God. Praise him with all that you have. But it takes a turn at verse 3, saying that we are to declare Yahweh's glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. Here's the interesting thing. For some of us, we have developed over time this idea that God had this one-of-a-kind unique people, the people of Israel, and he in somehow loved them more than the rest of the world. And, and I don't think that's good theology. 
And I want to show you today, as, as we would see this, I want us to get into the sandals, as it were, of a, of a Jew who might have been reading this in, let's say, 800 uh, B.C., 500 B.C. And as they're reading these words, the things that they're thinking about, this is causing a tension within their spirit. Because if they had come to somehow believe this, these words are blowing that out of the water. And I want to help you with that too. Let's go all the way back to the beginning. See that what God had intended all along was for Abraham's family, what would ultimately become the nation of Israel, they were always blessed to be a blessing. All the way back at Genesis 12, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to a land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. Remember, this is Abram. He's not even, he doesn't have a child yet. This is a guy who's married with no kids. I'm going to make you into a nation. I will bless you. I will make your, your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. Watch this. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God chose this man, this individual, who he would ultimately, with his wife Sarah, they would develop a family. A family would become a people. A people would become a nation. And within that reality, from the very beginning, the very first time God approaches Abram, he says, I'm blessing you with the purpose of being a blessing to the world. I want you to see this today. God has always so loved the world. It wasn't a new idea in the person of Jesus. It wasn't a New Testament idea. It was from the very beginning, God so loved the world. See it not only in just the terms of blessing, but how God was actually going to use his law, even, even the, the rules, as it were, of how his people should live towards him and towards each other. Somehow, this would be a point of influence to the nations. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 4. Moses is writing to a people about to cross into the promised land. He tells them in verse 5, See, I have taught you decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me so that you may follow them in the land that you are entering to, obtain, to take possession of it. Observe these, these laws, carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations. There's an implicit idea from the beginning that as they would follow the ways of God, the nations would take notice. Who will hear about these decrees and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. Look at verse 7. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him? And what other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws that I'm setting before you today? We might have never thought of the first five books of the Bible, what we call the law, as ever anything that was except for just how the people ought to relate to God and each other. But God is saying from the beginning, this is such a powerful uh, way of life, such a powerful sense of direction from the one true God that the nations who follow non-gods will pay attention. And then ultimately, at the apex of the kingdom, it would be the nations who would come and they would want to hear of the wisdom of God through his king, Solomon, from 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 34, from all nations, people came to listen to Solomon's wisdom, sent by all the kings of the world who had heard of his wisdom. So I want you to see that God's people have always been this fountain of blessing to the nations. That was their purpose. Even to the point of when God would send an emissary, an ambassador, on his behalf to even warn of pending judgment. 
This is something that God got ahead of, and he said, something's coming your way. The prophets were to announce to the nations God's judgment, specifically Jonah. He goes to Nineveh. Nineveh is the capital of Assyria, the most wicked people on the planet at that time. He'd already run away from God. Now he's finally in the city. Jonah chapter 3, verse 4. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming. Look at these incredible words of joy and salvation. Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Pure judgment. Forty days. And, and he doesn't give them any out, right? Th these words are words that are just simply solid. Forty days and you're all toast. I'm out of here. But look how the people respond. The Ninevites believed God. They heard these words and they took them to heart. A fast was proclaimed in all of them from the greatest to the least. They put on sackcloth. Down to verse 8, the king is saying this. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Verse 9, who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. Verse 10, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. So we see all kinds of ways that God is concerned about the nations, not just this unique nation of Israel, but literally the world. And I want you to see that today because in a sense, an Israelite reading these words from Psalm 96 should not have been surprised. It should have been a sense of, yes, God's uniquely chosen us for a purpose, but the purpose is to bless the nations. And therefore, this, these should have been words that were actually on their hearts and minds. How can we fulfill that? If you're here today and you're not of Jewish origin and you never heard of God apart from what he has done through his son sent by somebody else, then the reality is you have a lot to be grateful for. You are the nations that this verse is talking about, that our chapter is looking at today. And the reality is this, is that we have been so thrilled. This last summer has been such an incredible opportunity for us as a church. We've had, like, I think, five different uh, global workers, couples or individuals, come up and share with us what is going on in the world, what God is doing in and through them. And we have, with great anticipation, great joy, been excited to hear their reports because they are fulfilling these words of Psalm 96 that they are taking to the nations the greatness of God. But you know what we've been doing? Since the fall at Trinity Church, we've been talking not only about our global mission, but about our local mission. I want you to hear this. I am so very grateful for the heartbeat of the people at Trinity Church that want to reach the world, that are involved in the global effort of what we want to do to see Jesus be lifted up among the nations. But in that same reality, while we do that, the reality is also that God has called us to personal mission. Each one of us have a relational world that God has placed us among that we might be people of influence. And the reality is, as we walk through this text today, I really want you to see through both lenses. When you hear that the nations would come to know and worship and follow God, don't just think of people somewhere around the world. Think of the people next door. Think of the people in your cubicle, students going back to school. Think of the person you're going to sit next to in class. This is the nations. Better said, this is your world that God has called you to be a person of intentional influence. Look in your notes. Not just who we are prayerfully and financially supporting abroad as our ambassadors, but who God, who God has called you to be an ambassador 
to whom he has supernaturally, strategically placed you among in your relational world. That's the lens I want you to also see this passage today. And here's the wild thing about it. The thing that I really think Abram must have stopped and said, God, who am I? Who am I, not just that you would develop a nation from me, who am I that you would use me to bless the nations? I want you to think that same thing today. God, who am I? Who am I that you would use me as a person of intentional influence, praying for the people in my world, investing out of genuine Jesus love in their lives, sharing with them the great news of who God is and what he's done for me. Who am I that you would call me into this kind of partnership? And the great news is he has. And we'll listen to these words today and we'll be able to say, God, I don't want to just listen to these. I want to embody them. I want to align my response with Psalm 96. Psalm 96, verse 4. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. This stands as answering a question that I think the psalmist anticipated. I think the psalmist saw coming. Why would the God of Israel... Be the God that other peoples and nations would worship. They have their own gods, leave them alone. I think that would be a very, um, a very fair question that people in that day, and I dare say people today would say, hey, people have their own belief systems, leave them alone, let them do their thing. The psalmist anticipates that, and what he does, he clears up this misunderstanding, because what he's saying very clearly is, there is no other God. There is no other gods of the nations who can save, any gods of the nations who are powerful, any gods of the nations who are truly God. None. So he goes right to that point from the very beginning. Yahweh is the only true God. And he is the creator of the heavens. And as a result, he exudes glory, splendor, majesty, and strength. I think this is a common point of confusion today in our evangelical world of we will have the same thoughts. We'll come under the same impression. I don't want to talk to, it goes something like this, I don't want to talk to my friends, the people in my relational world who are of a different belief system because I don't want to come across as superior. And in that, I'm just going to let them continue in their way. I'm going to let them do their thing and not kind of be disruptive and not try to, to, in a sense, kind of call them out to something else. Maybe some of us even in this room today, we have this notion, and here's the thing I want you to hear today. While I can appreciate the concern of not wanting to come across as superior, I appreciate that heartbeat of someone going, hey, I don't want to just come in and say, I've got all the answers, listen to me. I appreciate that, however... In your notes, apart from Jesus and his saving work, all of humanity, including the religious ones, are bound for an eternity apart from God due to their sin. All of humanity, even those who are, quote, sincere in their faith, are bound for an eternity apart from God because God alone, as the psalm is saying, God alone reigns. Now, we live in a pluralistic society. I'm looking especially at our students this morning. I know that some of these thoughts, even in the world that you, it's kind of like I've always believed related to culture, it's hard to know your own culture because it's like asking a fish if it's wet. You've just always been in it. You don't know anything different. Like, how do I, how do I relate to this? But I know for you, even as I'm saying words like this, 
I would have no doubt that you're thinking about someone in a class or on a team or on the job, and you're going, yeah, this person has this kind of belief system. I really don't want to talk to them about Jesus because I, I'm either, A, I feel like I would come across as though I know better or I'm, I'm smarter or I, I know what's right and they don't, or just that they're just so far from who I believe God to be, it just wouldn't work. And here's what I want to say. I want to say in a pluralistic culture where we live in a world that says you can believe in and whoever, whatever you want, these words are controversial and taboo. I get it. I get that there's a sense, there's even some squirming in us today going, hmm, can you say stuff like this, Todd? Well, you've already done it. You've already sung songs today. There is no one like our God. There is no other God who can save. You've sung songs today that said, I love the bridge from beautiful name. Listen, you have no rival, you have no equal, now and forever, God, you reign. And I don't know if you've ever thought of this before, as these words, have you sung these words? I don't know if you've ever thought of them through the lens. They are by nature confrontational. They are by nature confrontational because they're not just spoken into a vacuum. And that's the power of what we're talking about today. If we would be a people of praise in earshot of people who don't know him, these words all of a sudden take on a different spin. Oh, so what you're saying is, so I want you to hear two important things. Two very important things about this reality. The first is, as we consider that this is who God says he is. As we read over scripture, as we read the Bible from front to back, there is no doubt, not even close, to a misunderstanding that the Bible doesn't present a one-of-a-kind God who exists in triune three persons. This is the stuff of scripture, and never once do you see a rival. Never once do you say, but then God came into this arena of all the other gods. That word, that talk is nowhere in Scripture. So if we would see that the Bible is something given to us not by way of giving advice. This is not helpful for tips. This is authoritative. This is the authoritative word of God by which we say, God, I want to accept all of it, not parts of it, not just the things I like. So even though our culture has branded such kind of thinking as narrow and tolerant, we choose to remain true to what God has so clearly communicated in his word, that he and he alone is God. It's the first thing, that, that takes a sense of personal commitment to say, God, I'm going to believe this because your word is clear about it. Now, secondly, I want you to catch this. What you do with that belief system matters so much. Not only that you would have it, that God alone, the God of the Bible is the one true God, there is no other like him, but what you do when you embrace that belief system really matters. Holding fast to this idea in a culture that would say everybody's right, but also that you know how to interact with the people who believe and live differently. Remember what the psalmist earlier called us to do, the second part of verse two, proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among the people. Proclaim this great news of who God is. Let the people know, not by way of arrogance, not by way of, I can't wait, God's going to judge you, but by way of God loves you. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Though the nations are fooled into thinking that there are non-gods and that they're really gods, Yahweh's people are to proclaim 
Not just his being, but his love, his redemption day after day. In your notes, we are to be a people who bring this message of hope. Who bring this message of hope to a world who has either written God off as irrelevant or has embraced a variety of non-gods to which they look to for hope and salvation. I want you to see this. Yahweh doesn't initially direct his people to announce judgment. Doesn't initially call them to bring condemnation on the nation's idolatry, but instead to declare that he is a God of love and a God of redemption. For a people who have not yet known him, even a people who have rejected him. This is so powerful when it comes to the way that you share this great news with the people in your relational world who have either ignored him or have followed to other non-gods, knowing that God so loved the world, knowing that from beginning to end, this has always been the heartbeat of God, knowing that he so loves your relational world, you can walk in full confidence that you could share with them not only the fact that he's a one-of-a-kind deity, but he has a one-of-a-kind love for them, for them. It begins even by you, because you kind of go, well, how would I do that, Todd? Look at what the psalmist said. It begins by you giving praise. You vertically praising God gives a horizontal reality, a horizontal influence to other people. So it walks like this, to, for you to be able to say from your own experience, the wonderful deeds of God are such, because this is what he's done in my life. Psalm 96, in many ways, is calling upon both the objective truth of God, but the subjective testimony of you. How have you seen him be this God? And the thing I want you to know, the thing we talk so much about at Trinity Church, we're not against this form of evangelism, knocking on doors. But the reason we just simply don't put a lot of weight behind it is statistically it doesn't work. Because I can be anyone I want to be selling anything I want to sell at your doorstep. But if you work in the cube next to me, if you sit at the desk next to me, if you are my extended family member, you really see me. You know how I live. You know how I treat people. You know how I respond to God. And for some of us, we go, oh, man, that's not helping, Todd. <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a problem. Doesn't that give us great motivation to go, God, in spite of my flaws, in spite of the way that the real people in my real world see me, I want to declare your praises. And I want to live a life that demonstrates the truth of that, that lives con consistently with that. Look at the next verses, verse 7. Ascribe, here's another bold word, a directive. Ascribe to the Lord all you families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. And I want to say, if you were um, reading this in, in 800 BC, and you are trying to process some things, and, and you might not be reading it, you actually might be singing it. You might have been praying it communally with other followers of Yahweh. You are going to be hit over the head with this reality. God has not just called us to be his people. He's called us to be influencers. He's called us to take this great news of who he is to the nations. It was unmistakable. Look at even what he called the nations to do, to do just what they did, to bring an offering and to come into his courts. That's what the people of Israel were to do at the temple. The Bible says all the nations are called to do this. And not just even through that source of ritual, but even in awe as they tremble before him. 
Look in your notes. Because Yahweh is the one and only God and sole creator of the universe, it is right that he should expect worship from the nations. Because God is the one-of-a-kind God, there's no one like him, it is right that he should expect worship from the nations. And since they are currently not, since they are currently not doing so, Yahweh's people are to say among the nations, the Lord reigns. And because it even said in this passage that his judgment is coming, the nations are in desperate need to know of this truth and to know who it is that loves them and who it is who wants to rescue them. John Piper has very famously said, I love this quote, it's in your notes, missions exist because worship doesn't. That is a powerful, the older I get, the more I love simplicity. Missions exist because worship doesn't. And we get the point, we understand that the reason that we take this great news of God into the world, into the nations, is because they aren't yet those who have understood who he is, responded to him, and followed him. Some have never even heard the name. As true as that is globally, I want you to embrace that a little bit. I want to tweak that a little bit today and make it true for us personally. In your notes, your personal mission exists because, your, because worship in your relational world doesn't. Your personal mission exists because worship in your relational world doesn't. This is why we do this. This is why we engage. There are people I'm doing life with. Some of them are believers, and I get to encourage them in their faith. But for those that are not, God has sent me on mission to be a person of grace and truth, to be a person of intentional Jesus influence. And I do so because the need is there. I want to say something today that should bring you encouragement. It does me. When I think of all this, and I think sometimes about the mission God's called me on in my relational world, sometimes it's, it can just be challenging when I don't see change. It can be challenging when I'm praying and I'm, I'm interacting with people. I'm trying to share with them, but I just don't see an interest or, or any change in their lives. And at times, that can actually cause me to go, you know, I don't know if it's worth it. I don't know if it's helping. I want to encourage you with something today. Words from the end. You know, it's the great news about the Bible. We get the beginning and the end. Words from the end. How is it all going to finish? And as I read these words, think about not just the nations, but think about the way that God would still want to work in the people in your world. Think of their names. Think of their faces. From Revelation 7, verse 9. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, from every tribe, every people and language, from every workplace, from every household, from every school classroom. There were people that represented all these things, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, this is, this is the fulfillment of Psalm 96, salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. I want you to see this today. I want you to see the incredible privilege that God has granted to each and every one of us. Those of us who have recognized his goodness, responded to his gospel in faith. The great goal of what Jesus left us with the great commandment, the great commission, was not just to sit on our salvation, but to be a people who have been rescued that we might be a people of rescue. That we get to join God in his partnership to save the nation, specifically beginning with your world. What an incredible privilege that God has given us. And I want to encourage you, especially those still on the fence going, Todd, I don't know how to do that, or Todd, I feel so uncomfortable, or Todd, I don't. It's an incredible partnership.
We finish Psalm 96, verse 11. Let, another calling, let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. And let the trees of the forest sing for joy. Let all creation rejoice before the Lord, for he comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. The psalmist, he calls upon the created order, not just humanity. I think that's so cool. We see it all throughout the psalms where, God, where the psalmist calls upon all of creation, us as part of it, but the rocks and the streams and the hills, everything that has breath, praise the Lord. This is another one of these words. I want you to see today, um, Eugene Peterson wrote a paraphrase of the Bible. So this is a little bit different than a translation, but in this paraphrase called the message, I just wanted to see you to see the poetry of his words. Look at the way he writes what we, he just paraphrases what we just read. It says, let's hear it from the sky with earth joining in and a huge round of applause from sea. Let wilderness turn cartwheels. Just look at that image in your mind. That's so cool. Animals come dance. Put every tree of the forest in the choir. I just love the way that that's demonstrated. Love the poetry of those words because it gives you a visual and you kind of go, yes, God's calling all of his created order, not just our voices, but all of creation because he is the sole creator of it to worship. And as a result of great joy, so will we. So will we have that opportunity. Bill and I were talking about this psalm a couple weeks ago and talking about some psalms that, songs that would connect dots. And we came upon one recently that we were just so blown away by with how tight it is to this. It could have been written from Psalm 96. And today, George is going to come up and he's going to sing it. If you're not familiar with the song, song, I just say, just lean back and just take in the words. If you're at high school camp, sing your brains out because you sang this and you loved it. It's a song called So Will I. start before the beginning of time with no point of reference you spoke the lack and flashed out the wonder of life and as you speak a hundred billion galaxies are born in the vapor of your breath the planets form if the stars were made to worship so alive I could see your heart in everything you've made every burning star a signal fire your praise is so spoken on a 
nature and science follow the sound of your voice Ooh. and as you speak a hundred billion creatures catch your breath evolving in pursuit of what you So alive, I can see your heart in everything you say. Every painted sky and canvas of your grace. If creation still obeys you, so Like you would 
doesn't get any tighter than that. What great words, what great song. Bill and George, thank you so much. Kind of reminds you of camp a little bit, huh? That's pretty cool. You see, this psalm is indeed what it, we've seen all morning. It is a call. It is a word, it is a directive. It is calling us to action, not just that we would be a people of praising God vertically, but that would have an influence on our worlds horizontally. And I love the last part of that song. It brings me to tears every time. God, if you would put your son on a cross and, and if you would take away 100 billion failures, and if you want that word, if you gave yourself selflessly to others, so will I. That's all we're doing is following the example that Jesus has given us living a life of sacrificial love, living a life on purpose, on mission, all we're doing, all we're talking about today, all the psalmist was foreshadowing is the incarnational truth of God, his love lived out in the person of Jesus and our example to live in front of our worlds, among our worlds. So I want to finish today by giving you some very practical things. If you're saying, Todd, that's great. I don't know how to do that. It seems awkward. How does my vertical praise have a horizontal impact? Well, let me give you one first thought. You have to be in proximity for the people in your world to hear it. They've got to be in earshot. And I love that we would gather in places like this every Sunday morning to lift high the name of God, but our praises ought not be limited to this room, says the psalm. So here's a few very practical ideas I want to leave you with today. First off, don't cloak comments with things like life is good, when really what you want to say is God is good. Say it. It doesn't matter where they're at. It doesn't matter how much they do or don't follow God. Say it. <laughs> there was something funny. I missed it. <laughs> mention your thanks to God. No matter who you're talking to, mention your thanks to God for ways he's provided for you or protected you. Mention those things and, and be able to say them. Again, no matter who's talk, you're talking to, no matter where they're at spiritually, be able to say, man, God, it was, it was so great when God protected our family of this or when God provided that. Use his name. Say, give him the praise that you want to give him anyways, but you'd only give with the people in your home group. Give it to the people in your relational world. Admit that though they might not believe in the God of the Bible, and it's great to premise with that, though you might not believe in the God of the Bible, I just want you to know I am blown away by his sovereignty. I am blown away by his mercy. I am blown away with the fact that he is all-knowing. Whatever character attribute you want to put there, and even for them to hear why you thank God for who he is. If you ask if you can pray for them and they agree, begin by saying, and blessing God for how good he's been to you and how good he's been to this person. Say these words over them. And maybe even literally, it comes down to you inviting someone from your relational world to sit right next to you on a Sunday morning as you are praising and lifting God's name on high and they're wondering what on earth is going on. 
that's a way that your vertical praise has a horizontal effect. Let's pray. Father, we read these words from Psalm 96, and they're powerful because they talk so much of your exaltation. They talk so much of how good you are. You are full. You exude strength and mercy and power. But God, this psalm is so clear that our praises to you ought not be reserved to just when we are together. But God, it's for the nations to know. Knowing that you are going to come and judge the world. The psalm is clear about that. But you say, announce first my salvation. Announce first, declaring my goodness to the nations. God, what a privilege. What a privilege that you would call us into partnership. That we might be a people, God, that you could use. A people that you could somehow use our love, our life, our influence in people's lives. We know we can't change a single person. We know that as a work between you and them. But God, that we would be a source of influence blows our minds. Help us this week take this seriously. One of these steps of being a people who praise you vertically and has an influence horizontally. You may be here today and you would say, you know, Todd, I've actually never really responded to this message. Though I even heard in the words that Jesus died for all of my failures, I've never really received, responded to this great news of the gospel, and today I'm ready. I can help you very simply. It begins with the ABCs. A is to admit. To admit that you're a sinner who needs a savior. To admit that you are a part of all of fallen humanity, like every single person in this room, and by nature and by behavior, you have lived in opposition to God's way. B, believe. Believe that this Jesus we've talked about today, this one who hung on a cross, gave his life for you, rose victorious over death from the, in the empty tomb. Believe that Jesus is the only Savior available. C is choose. Choose to say, Jesus, I recognize that you did for me what I couldn't do for myself. I put my faith in your accomplished work, and I want to live my life following your footsteps. That's where it all begins. And I want to encourage you if you're here today and you're like, I don't know, I'd encourage you to take the step. Respond to this great news of God. Father, we love you. Thank you for this day. And we pray in Jesus' great name. Amen.